Hola, ¿qué tal? Soy chico de las poesías, tu fiel admirador. Y aunque no me conocías, do, do, do. No, we're recording. Okay, okay. I didn't know this song. They don't know all the songs that you know. Well, they, this is my intro, okay? They gotta know them. They gotta know. I'm chatting a bit with myself, you see? You see? Oh, hey there. Hello, welcome to my podcast. It's called By All Means Necessary. I don't know if you know it. I'm sorry about that. I just got uh, carried away a bit. I'm your host, Maya. If you haven't heard because I spoke to myself a bit there, cool. I used to sing this song when I was selling Lola's cupcakes. Yet another great job that I had in the past. Then because it was at like Victoria Station, there would be a lot of like Spanish people coming in. I would just play Spanish music and sometimes just interact with them in Spanish. Just because. I would just play like inappropriate J Baldwin songs and shit like that. I would just be like, yeah. Hola, que tal? So el chico de las poesía. I would just be like, what is life? I just came here for some sugar. What is going on in this neighborhood? Why is it always some alarms, man? So much anxiety. Okay, the case I'm bringing you today. Let's just say, if you don't end up hating this case by the end of this episode, I haven't done a good job. Not because it's a shit case, it's such a fascinating case, trust me on that. However, everything kind of came to light and developed last year, so all of the articles and all of the sources I could find kind of keep repeating the same information, so we have very little in the background, very much the same events when it comes to crimes, and then like... The discovery and the rest are kind of conflicting stories of, again, how it happened. But why you will find it frustrating is that it's truly such an empty case. I find it so fascinating and yet so empty. Such a, like, 21st century crime case that by the end you're like, really? Is this what crime has come to? First of all, is it really this easy? How is this still happening? But secondly, like, give me a personality trait, bitch. So, of course, I'm talking about the scammer, Anna Delvey. Welcome to the month for fucking scammers. This was the longest fucking unnecessary intro, so let's just dive straight in. Anna Delvey was a wannabe socialite with a single goal. Scam the rich and famous until she got enough funding for her big art foundation. It all came crashing down, leaving multiple hotels and friends in serious debt, and her leaving her American dream in the US prison. We have our scammer, we have our crime. What were her motives? About 90% of the events of this story are happening at this reception desk. <laughs> so, this is uh, the sequence we're gonna use. This is how we're gonna start off. So imagine it. It's 11 Howard. It's a huge, expensive hotel. It's 2017, New York. Anna is 27 years old. I put fresh out of breakup. <laughs> Genius. Ah, uh, the good old 2017. Where were you? What were you doing? Um, I was freshly into marriage, you know, onto my second full-time job after uni. That was beautiful. Loved every single minute of it. Yeah, totally didn't spark this fucking hatred that I have towards customer service. I was constantly looking for other jobs because I was like, this is not happy. It doesn't feel right. What do I do? Let's just look at the jobs in the exact same industry because that makes sense according to my fucking CV. This is when I also truly committed to the no bra lifestyle which is one of the best decisions that i have had i mean i was committing to it during uni but this is like when i was like no this is not happening like i just i just don't care i don't care like you 
cannot ever put in a contract for me to wear a bra. It just won't happen. So uh, why would I wear it? Bye. While this was happening, Anna Delvey is living lavishly at 400 a night and living at this hotel. She came from Paris after she broke off with her boyfriend a few years ago and she wanted to stay longer in New York for Fashion Week. So we don't have actually much of what was happening in 2016 when it was apparently that she moved to New York. Like I've seen different accounts of where she was. Like this is why I hate this case because there's no like exact timeline for me to like properly break it down. It's just a couple of events that we know of her scammer life. So she is at 11 Howard, which I googled, of course. This case made me google so many hotels in New York and just realize how some of them, even though they charge you an extortion, aren't actually that, like, special. Just picture this, you know, young woman with, like, sort of an accent that you can't pinpoint because, again, she's trying not to sound Eastern European. She's all, like, dressed up in designer clothes and acting like she fucking owns the hotel. And she's just approaching this receptionist that's called Neff. And this is kind of like a repetitive thing. She lived in this hotel for over a month. Which, again, I don't know that hotels can allow this. Maybe this is, like, in the rich and famous kind of thing. Surely, like, any hotel will kind of not take you as a, like, fucking resident. This is why they're a hotel. So, anyways, she is checked with Neff, which is, like, a regular occurrence. Since every day it's passing her by and be like, Hey, what should I go visit today? Which she's slightly used to, you know, in normal circumstances. People are like, yeah, hey, Statue of Liberty, you know, whatever. <laughs> But with Anna, it's kind of different. She is asking about, like, fashion. Like, she's kind of questioning, like, enough about her life. What is she doing? For every advice, recommendation she provides, she kind of gets, like, a hundred dollars from Anna. Because Anna is just throwing money around. And it's not just Neff that gets this, it's anybody. It's the people that, that carry her luggage upstairs, it's people that open the doors for her. It's literally everybody is fighting to help this girl out because they know that they're gonna get a hundred dollar bill for it. And as she kind of befriends Neff and um, asks her about her life and her boyfriend, Neff kind of gains like some information on Anna as well. So she knows, like, her dad is a German diplomat, and she has a 60 million euros trust fund in her name, and she kind of gathers, like, oh, this girl is into, like, into arts, so she's kind of recommending her museums and stuff to go to. Like, during the day and night, she goes to, like, dinners and lunches to network, but she's not just into art, you know, like, kind of like an aficionado, where she just goes and, I don't know, takes picture of fucking statue of, you know, Greek gods' penises. Like, random person, like, um a rationable <laughs> grown-up person like me. Her final goal is to have her own art foundation, which she would name ADF or Anadelphi Foundation, which would be kind of like a dynamic visual arts center dedicated to contemporary art. This art center would have a juice bar, very important. It would have a German bakery because, again, she's so connected to her roots. It would have like a place with pop-ups, and she has, like, obviously pinpointed a location to do this, and it's this church mission's house, which is a building on Park Avenue South. She already has envisioned how this is going to look like. She's going to have a night lounge and a bar, art galleries, like, studio space, restaurants, and a member-only club. The only problem is she kind of needs $40 million to even just rent out this space without even any of this nonsense. But hey, she has this dream, it's gonna happen in New York, then she's gonna expand elsewhere. 
I put this is why it's messed up having one goal. And people having one goal only are dangerous. <laughs> truly though, truly, okay? This is gonna be episode with the most wise quote of mine. No, but truly though, if you know anybody with just one goal, you know that they're gonna follow the end justifies the means. And it's just like the most irrational fucking people. Like, like something unexpected is gonna happen on the way, even if you have your fucking dream goal since you were five years old. And you need to acclimatize, you need to develop with the time. Like, look at the technology, look at everything. You can't just like depend on something you had in mind like 20 years ago. It doesn't work that way, bitch. But also something better might come on the way that you might take up and be like, okay, cool, hey, listen, this is the thing now. Stop having just one goal, you're dangerous. Dangerous. We're back at the reception desk with Neff, who in the meantime had another visitor. Obviously, this is a huge fucking hotel with like famous people coming in. And this is Charlie Rosen that um, she's speaking with, who is Abby Rosen's son. And Abby Rosen owned the church missions place that she wants to rent for the foundation and owned the freaking hotel that she's staying at. So Neff is, of course, like, you know, just chatting with Charlie at the reception normally innocently and she just mentioned Anna and she's like hey there's this young woman here she is leasing your father's place for an arts club and Rosen looked kind of confused so he never heard of this woman and her project and he's like oh okay cool what room is she staying in and Neff told him she's staying in some like in a deluxe room but then Charlie said, well, if she is actually buying some property from my dad that she needs like what, 40 million something for, why? Like, would she be staying in a deluxe or would she be staying in a suit? Is she really this rich man? And Neff kind of like was picking up on him. He's like, okay, he has a point. So a few days later, she asked Anna, like, why did you tell me you're buying property from Abby, but you're also staying in a suit? And Anna, we will pick up about this bitch, okay? So from all the quotes that I have on her, and also if you listen to Fake Harris, which is like a BBC podcast, I wouldn't necessarily recommend listening to it. It kind of gives you a perspective into, well, how quickly she would respond, you know, and like what kind of things she was saying, which are again the quotes you can find online, so they seem to be legit. But it's just done in this like reconstruction thing, where everybody's voicing a different person. And I was kind of like confused by it. Anyways, if you've picked up anything from how she's giving her answers, there's just like no hesitation. She has something on command. Like she has a response on command. So she just answered immediately. Quote, you ever have someone do so many favors for you, you kind of just want to pay them back in silence. End quote. And I suppose like um, a raised eyebrow being like, a bitch, shut the fuck up. And that was like, genius. Yep, you just shut me up in it. You are the one who pays me $100 for single advice every day. You are the boss, Anna. Yep, I'm not gonna question you at any point anymore. By this point, Anna has been at 11 Howard for about a month. And somebody just like clocked one day like, hey, yep, there's this girl that's chilling here. We don't have a credit card for her on file. So this morning she goes to the reception. Neff is like, listen, I need to speak with you. This is like serious. You need to pay it up. And Anna again has an answer on command. Like, no worries. My money is just actually held up by this bank in Switzerland. But there's definitely a wire transfer arranged. Oh, it should have come by now. You know how it goes. Like, yeah, the 30k should have been wired by you. Oh, I'll ring my bank. It's okay. I'll fix it. And in the meantime, she's like, yeah, I need to go to this, like, event to Omaha. She's gonna see Warren Buffet. It's this annual investment conference. 
she has this private jet like flight arranged with this hedge fund guy martin screlly and she tells Neff like oh, i'll be back and like by that time definitely a wire transfer should be <laughs> should be with you okay also here there's like a lot of speculation like she apparently did not pay for this private jet flight during her networking business events and stuff like she apparently met like this person that was one of the investors like had this private jet and she kind of just said she needs to be at this investment fund like can she borrow his private jet and apparently he just went in like private jets are fucking expensive i will never understand how she like nobody ever hunted her down to again pay the fucking journey for a private jet so while she's in omaha neff actually texts her and she's like listen they changed the code to your room and they put all of your belongings in storage because well, you haven't paid for this fucking room. And she just loses her shit. She's like, how can they do this to me? But she like quickly kind of brushes it off with them. She's like, don't worry, I'll be back. Like, I'll cover it all. Listen though, like, Omaha is so great. I've seen it all. I've even like landed in a freaking zoo. And then, guess what happened in the zoo? There was this private dinner <laughs> by buffet for the for these VIPs. And everybody was there. Like, even Bill Gates was there. The account of this is that she did go to the zoo and uh that was it she never fucking met bill gates she, she, she's not this important okay she just can lie for days now she goes back to this hotel this bitch she is losing her shit at the reception and she says she's going to purchase web domains for all of the managers names because mm, this is a trick she learned from shkreli from the hedge fund guy for her like they're gonna pay her one day she paid the 30k but then she noted down all of the staff's names, planning to seek revenge in the future. <laughs> this is what you do, girl. This is why people like this are dangerous, because even when they're wrong, they cannot accept they're wrong. Like, you are broke, bitch. Like, you're literally scrambling. And she's just like, nope, uh, you called me out of it. I'm gonna seek revenge on you one day. Like, literally just doing my fucking job. I'm at the reception. I work at the hotel. Do you think I wanna be here? Chasing you for fucking money. No, let me live. We're gonna make a little segue into her investments and how was she, well, getting any money to begin with, to pay for anything, you know, go into the business side of things, well, as, as businessy as, as it gets in this case. So, as I mentioned, the timeline is kind of rough, but like in late 2016, she returned to her village in Germany for a few months to work out the details of the ADF of her foundation and uh, to create like some fake bank statements in photoshop which uh, she said took surprisingly little time okay on a brag such a brag also this brings to mind one of my favorite scams of mine okay and by scams you'll hear what this is about also to the people that still work for this company you'll know you'll know shout out to you guys so I worked for this place that was really stocked with like so much food. It was usually shitty stuff. There were fruits, but usually it was just like bread and like brioches. Is brioches the plural brioche? It's not brioche, right? It's like goose, geese, brioche, brioche. Ah, <sighs> sweet baby Jesus, I think it is brioches. I'm not gonna Google this shit. I have way too much weird shit in my Google search history. So what I used to do is put two brioches together and then put them under hot press until they're proper like fucking tightly toasted so it kind of looks like one fat brioche okay and then i would go like out and just um, go out of the go out of the kitchen to my desk and be like no it's it's one brioche the body does not know okay the body doesn't know this is how i cheat my own body with calories 
And they were like, yeah, my, the, the body knows, bitch. Like, what are you on about? Like, Listen, no, 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 this is how you scan your body, okay? Yeah. <laughs> this is why I don't diet, okay? Because I would just be trying to scam, <laughs> put shit under hot press, and trying to make it one instead of two. Listen. So this was Anna, just instead of scamming her own body, she was scamming, you know, the biggest banks in the US. So while she's there to help her secure a loan, she gets in touch with one of her finance friends, you know, from the networking events, who tells her to get in touch with Joel Cohen, who is the prosecutor of Jordan Belfort. Now, if you don't know who Jordan Belfort is, he is the true uh, Wolf of Wall Street. You know, just in case you thought Leonardo DiCaprio was the Wolf of Wall Street and not the actor. You know, in which case, how does your life work? Now, Jordan actually puts her in touch with Andy Lenz, who apparently was different to Anna. She said he knows how to talk to women, and he would explain me the right amount without being patronizing. It's kind of dubitable, it's kind of like debatable what kind of relationship they had, because apparently he was willing to respond in the middle of the night and shit, and I didn't really know that financial advisors do that, do they? So Lenz put her in touch with the LA-based City National Bank, as well as Fortress Investment Group. And he wrote them emails explaining she needs this loan because her personal assets, which are quite substantial, are located outside of the US. Some of them, like, sort of tied in a trust with UBS outside of the US. And I guess this is a story you can't sell any longer after this made the news, because how many people were just telling, like, oh yeah, you know, I'm this international heiress, I'm a freaking daughter of a diplomat, and it's just the fucking fact that ugh, I have so much money, but it's, like, tied in different accounts, like, it's so inconvenient, I know. Now, some of these bits are from her friend Rachel, which we are gonna meet a bit later. But she is the one that um, Anna has scammed the most. Well, excluding the hotels, probably. So before returning to New York, she secured $100,000 from the City National Bank by convincing a bank representative to let her overdraft her account. <laughs> she allegedly promised the bank that she would wire the funds shortly to cover the overdraft, a familiar tune, as you remember from the 11 Howard Hotel. It's just like, it's just stuck in the process of being wired to you. It's all great. And then she gave that borrowed money to the Fortress Investment Group, again, to sort of like support her investment for her and a Delby fund. But now Fortress obviously had like to deposit and use some of that money. So they used 45K of that 100,000 deposit to verify her assets. So to, to complete this loan, but at this point, because she had to pay it back and she had no fucking other way to pay it back, she told them, like, it's fine, like, the father is going to cover the loan, she didn't like the terms, so she, like, backed out of the fortress thing. And she kept the 55k that was remaining, that fortress had returned. So apparently, from Rachel, we gather that this is the money that she used to support the lifestyle, so like the 11 Howard, the dinners, personal training sessions, and shopping. Now I put this section was exhausting, a let's go on holiday, everybody understands chilling instead of this fucking investment shit. We are speeding up a bit to May 2017, and Anna was like, well, this might be short-lived, um, let's just uh, go on holiday. At this moment, she was still actually apparently at 11 Howard, and she has met a friend who worked for Vanity Fair, and whose name was Rachel Williams. 
So they met like at a party and Rachel sort of described her like just coming in with like clout basically just wearing designer clothes, sandals and just you know like hey buying drinks for everybody and then she was like who is this girl why does she act like you know she knows everybody in here. But yeah soon they became friends again kind of like with Neff they started chilling and it was what Rachel says it's it's never like one thing it's not like you meet Anna and she immediately is like yep my father is a diplomat I have this amount of money this is where I travel you know it's never like intensity and this is why she bought into all of it like she bought into this whole story because it's just like one thing after the other after the other and you kind of like believe it because you see her every day you know coming from shopping coming in with like a Gucci bag of clothes inviting her to fancy dinners inviting her to 11 Howard and being like yeah pay up just don't worry about paying just put this on my tab you know for the room so you can kind of buy it's that thing which again pisses me off and this kind of needs to stop but it's that thing when like somebody in designer clothing comes into a designer store and the people that work there are immediately more attentive they're like yeah they're definitely buying they have the money yeah let's just give them more attention whereas if i fucking come in which is usually it's not a designer store it's at best zara (laughs) and i'm just like looking like a fucking hobo in my tracksuit nobody gives a fuck about like attending to me and being like oh can i help you out no this girl this needs to stop though okay what if somebody's like just not flashing out their money okay they're they're humble rich people out there i believe in it so may 2017 she's still at the hotel she's still great with neff and she kind of is like hey neff listen i'm gonna go on to this like to this holiday i just need to make this kind of documentary slash portfolio for my foundation it's gonna look great you know i'm gonna have like a professional photographer gonna go with my um friend rachel from vanity fair you know you wanna come and Neff is like, okay, let me just um, get to get back to you on that. So she goes and she discusses it with her mom. Obviously, like, she offered everything covered. So, like, to all of these people, like, yeah, everything is going to be covered. You don't have to pay for shit. But Neff discusses it with her mom. And this is the smartest fucking decision. This is the smartest woman in this whole story, her mom. Because she tells her this is a bad idea because nothing in life comes for free. Motto of this fucking story. So thank fuck for Neff's mom, because Neff doesn't go to this fucking holiday that will end up in a shambles. Apparently, another justification, apart from the foundation thing, is that she needs to leave the States in order to reset her visa. Also, I don't like this. I have done visas multiple times. It's the most stressful fucking process where you need to do shit ton of paperwork. You need to pay for it. And also, I don't think you can just be anywhere in the fucking world with the Russian nationality either. So I don't necessarily know how this was working. I think like her visa might have been like just about to expire. She was like, fuck you, one last holiday, man. This is short-lived anyways. Now, the plan is to go to this hotel in Marrakesh in Morocco, a luxurious place where they would have their own butler. And the stay is going to be, you know, $7,000 a night. Petty cash. Change. Literally. So now she's like, okay, cool, photographer, Rachel is coming, and the personal trainer as well. And she just like gives Rachel, she's like, I'm so busy with these foundation plans, listen, just take my credit card and just book everything, okay? Rachel is like, okay, cool. But she works for Vanity Fair, so she's like, it's fine, like I work with celebrities, like they can be busy, I have time, it's cool also, I'm not paying for it, so hey, yeah, I'll book it. 
Then she calls Anna and she's like, hey, listen, the credit card isn't actually working to buy the plane tickets. Again, totally not a red flag. <laughs> it's that thing, you know, like when your card gets rejected in like a supermarket or at a store and you're like, no, no, let me try it again. And every single poor like clerk or customer service person is just there looking at you like it won't work if you try it again. But I need to stand this. I need to fucking tolerate this to get paid my fucking minimum wage and I hate you for it. Yeah, try, try it again, please. Please, go ahead. You're broke. Try it, sorry. No, mm, try it again. Yeah. So I was like, it's fine. Like, I'll pay for it there. Um, can you buy, like, the ticket? Can you buy the plane tickets? And I promise I'll get you reimbursed. Now, Rachel does. Because otherwise this story wouldn't go to shit. They go to Morocco, they're living their best life, they're shopping around, and now Rachel kind of notices that this card being declined is a pattern, because it gets declined at every point, where Rachel asks us, like, oh, did you actually tell your bank that you're gonna go overseas? And Anna says, oh, no, oh, that must be the reason, you know, like, no worries, I'm gonna call the bank, which would be just, like, a call to the bank, you're like, hey, I'm overseas, this is not a scam, just unblock my shit, and that should be resolved. Not in this case, apparently. You know, every time Anna is like, oh, it's fine. Can you just actually pay for this? And, you know, I'm gonna, like, just repay you in the future. So you're just kind of like an open tab with your best friend. Totally not screaming red flags. Now, one day they're coming from their, you know, luxurious lifestyle. The butler is just opening the door and everything for them. And the receptionists are kind of, like, waiting for her. And they're like, listen, we fired a person because we realized, like, we don't have a credit card for you. What the fuck is that about? I put no schadenfreude here. No shame. She's just calling the bank. He's like, it's, it's okay, totally. While everybody else is just chilling there awkwardly, being like, um, yeah, this totally seems like a great holiday so far. This is a stable situation we're gonna get out of. <laughs> right? Right, Anna? Please confirm. And now, fuck knows, she bullshits them some story about her bank, like, not being able to, like, get wire transfer in time. Basically, because they're chasing them after the hotel, like, all of these people, they're like, yeah, we, we're gonna kick you out, like, you need to pay for this. She asks Rachel to give them her card, so it's, like, for a prepayment, so it's not even like they're gonna take all of the money out of her account. But it's just, like, guarantee that they will pay as soon as they can, which, again, I don't fucking know how this works. But... This amount of money, it amounted to 62000 which Rachel had to split between her personal and business cards and just suck it up. Again, like, which is more than she earned in a year. Okay, at this point in the timeline, Casey, her trainer, her personal trainer, has been feeling sick during this trip, so she actually went home earlier. So it was just her and the um, photographer and Rachel. But obviously Anna had, like, the next trip lined up which was again with a photographer and this photographer kind of gave this interview that she was like the most boring fucking person. That's the, one of those like Instagram models that is just there to, you know, be shot and it's just, there's nothing to it. It's like, it's not showing no personality, nothing. It's just like, yeah, just take picture. But also she didn't like like her face to be seen. So what the fuck is the whole point? It's like those random pictures of you standing in distance being like, yeah, look at me. So Anna had the next trip lined up to Casablanca and Rachel at this point is like, fuck it, yeah, I'm gonna go home because this is great. Like, you might fucking rack up some more money <laughs> and put me into even more debt. So Anna goes to Casablanca, where again, her card is just declined at the hotel. And this is when she calls Casey Duke, her personal trainer, and she is freaking out that, like, she can't pay. Her bank is, like, tying her up, up her money. Can she give her credit cards? 
And at this point, what you need to understand is Casey, her personal trainer, I think I read it's either 300 or 400 per session. So obviously, if you pay a, this type of money to a person, they believe you're good for it. They're like, yep, okay, cool. She's gonna pay me back. The same thing with Rachel. Like, she was seeing Anna constantly in designer clothes, dining at expensive restaurants, staying at this pricey hotel. Obviously, you're like, yeah, she's good for that money. Like, you don't necessarily see the red flags when you see somebody's living like a rich, lavish lifestyle. So Casey ends up giving her like two credit card details over the phone, but none of them work either. So the hotel actually just believed that the fault is on their end. Again, how is she getting away with murder here, man? So Casey's like, okay, cool. Like, let me buy you a flight home, which again, why does nobody in this whole story, what annoys me the most is how does nobody pay for return tickets? Don't you fucking know where you're gonna travel for? Like, why is nobody buying return tickets? <laughs> because again, that is a red flag. If somebody invites you for a trip, doesn't buy a return ticket, maybe they, 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 it's not all-inclusive, bitch. Like, you're gonna end up paying for it. And Anna had the cheek to ask Casey, oh, can, can you make this flight a first class? <laughs> this woman. Now, I don't think I've ever stayed in first class. That might be a lie. It might have been after that Hilton trip where the friend's mom paid for it, but I don't remember it. Like, I tried to suppress that shit in my memory, okay? But I remember a trip where I was sitting in the seat right after the first class in between two most annoying fucking humans. One of my cousins is, is a pilot. And I didn't even know the man. It's like from my mom's side. I don't even know if she knew him anyways. Like, my grandma knew him. And they were like, yeah, Maya's gonna be super excited to, like, go for a minute in a fucking pilot's cabin and just look at the sky and I was like fuck yes so they got me the tickets closest to it that was possible but what that meant is that there are people who are semi-famous or acting that they are celebrity famous <laughs> in those fucking rows so I was stuck in between a fashion blogger even to this day I fucking hate also I didn't know who she was at the time obviously she made herself known and equally annoying girl to my right <laughs> So just imagine, like, the two and a half hours flight that is from between back home and here, you're just listening to these two talking about how they're cashing out their daddy's cash, what clothes they're buying, what fashion weeks they have went to, what fucking their boyfriends are doing, and how their boyfriends are doing, and I'm just literally there, like, looking to the right, looking to the left, trying to be like, mm, great, I'm present, but I just, I'm sinking into the sea, like, don't, just ignore me. Please. Also, like, which parts of the body did they have Botox on? Like, did they do their lips? Like, or is that just gossip? Luckily, at some point, the stewardess was like, Hey, girl, like, yeah, you wanna come to the cockpit? I was like, yeah, please. I literally wanted to bag that pilot. Like, can I stay here for the rest of this flight? I'll just look at the sky. I won't touch a button. It's cool. We all know I would have touched the button, though. So, yeah. Fuck this flight. So yes, for her to ask for a first-class ticket really tells you everything you need to know about Hannah Delvey. Now, a month after this trip, Rachel still isn't paid. And again, what is really strange is that Anna is not like your typical person that just kind of takes your money and goes. She keeps stabs. She's telling Rachel's all this. She's telling, selling her stories. Like, yeah, it's just, it's just gonna reach you. It's a wire transfer. Yeah, this is how it's gonna take. Or she's like, yeah, I'll pay you this much in checks. It's like selling her stories and she is regularly checking in with Rachel and just still pretending she's her friend. But Rachel isn't buying it and she contacts the district attorney's office. She contacted the police as well, but nobody was like taking her seriously. 
She contacts district attorney's office and they finally kind of start to look into Anna Delby because they have received sort of like complaints about her before. For example, there was like an invoice from the foundation designer for 17,000 and he got in touch with her financial advisor, Peter W. Henneke. But the email bounced as undelivered. And this is because Peter W. Henneke is a fictional fucking character and it's actually Anna Delvey behind that email. It's her longest running con that she used from her days in Germany. She created a fake email for this person. Also, it wasn't like at adf.com or like something like that. It was like AOL email. And I'm just like, bitch, how are you? How was she succeeding for this long? She even pulled templates on Word to, like, fucking forge proof of assets. Basically that he would then, well, he or she would then send out as, like, her own financial advisor. This bitch is like, this is how much effort I put into my fucking CV. My CV is technically just a Word template that looked good and had red color on it because, you know, oh god. This is how much I respect working for the office, as much as Anna fucking respects, like, scamming and faking documents. It's like, I mean, I believe it's this easy. If, like, I got jobs with that fucking CV, I genuinely believe that this is how easy it was for her. Now, when this guy tries to, well, cash out on that invoice, Anna tells him not to contact Peter W. Hennig anymore because he died a month ago. Just like that. No explanation. He died. Fuck him. As you do, when I put this, like, why do you need to tell somebody not to contact a dead person? Like, I understand you're like, okay, sorry, yeah, you can run these things by me now, you know, because my financial advisor unfortunately died. You don't need to tell somebody, do not contact this person because they're dead. Now, from here, things kind of start developing fast, but again, in the exact same fucking fashion. So, she moves from, uh, what's it called, 11 Howard to the Beekman Hotel. And 20 days into her stay, the Beekman realized again they don't have a working credit card on her account. Like, what the fuck? Don't, isn't this the first thing you check? It's just, I've stayed at shittiest fucking hotels. They would still immediately run the debit card to see, like, hey, yep, it can actually have this amount to cover this state. Like, what are you on about? Again, her balance here is about 11,000. This bitch is just living lavishly, using the minibar, eating at a restaurant, be like, hey, I put it in my room. And then after some time, they're like, well, this is a substantial amount, let's check it. And then they realize they fucked up. So they locked her out of the room, confiscated all of her belongings. So she's like, it's cool, it's cool. I've done this before, I'm gonna go to another hotel. <laughs> Genius. She stays at Abali Hotel for about two days. And this ends in the same fashion. Again, they realize, like, oh, credit card, what the fuck, cool. At this point, she's kind of effectively homeless. This is July 2017. And she's just, like, wandering the streets in her sportswear. That's designer. Great, congratulations. Because in W Hotel, she actually managed to pay for the room, but she didn't pay for the minibar tab, which again was like a substantial amount. So at this point, she calls her personal trainer and she's like, hey, sorry, can I sleep at yours? And this personal trainer at the time apparently had a date at her house and she's like, yeah, sure, whatever. She brings her in, the date is just awkwardly there in the bedroom while Anna is like sobbing and crying and we're like, can you order a salad? Oh, this bitch, it's so messy. And the next day, the personal trainer told her like, yep, you can stay for the night and then get lost tomorrow. The next day Anna gets lost, but on 
purpose leaves the laptop in the flat and like the personal trainer is not having it so she had a doorman she just handed um him the laptop she's like listen if she returns i'm not here i don't exist i don't want to hear from this bitch again give her the laptop tell her to get lost and nana apparently just like returned and she was just waiting at this fucking lobby so basically locking this personal trainer in her own fucking house making her the prisoner in her own house so she just waits at this lobby the whole day and just finally gets the fucking memo and leaves at around midnight. In a few more days, she was actually caught trying to dine and dash at the Meridian Hotel. She's just like eating a salmon drink, like four glasses of wine. And then when it came to paying the bill, all of her cards declined. So she just like, is like, don't worry, my aunt is just gonna be here any minute. She's coming from Germany to cover the cost. At this point, bitch, you are nobody's buying this shit. But the levels, we have a saying back home, well, it's not like a saying saying. When it comes to like Christmas or getting gifts, it's like, oh, like, do you have an aunt in Switzerland who's gonna get you like some nice gifts and shit like that. Anyways, it's like, oh, cool, like you have fell into some money, basically. But this bitch took it literally, she took it to the next level. She gets arrested there, but she gets released without bail because she says she has intentions to pay her debt. This is gonna be her whole fucking defense in a minute. <laughs> I put, yeah, bra. I have intention of wearing a bra after years of not wearing it. Can't tell you the date, though. Ah, <laughs> this script. So after this arrest, her friends, well, the, um, Rachel and her personal trainer, kind of had, like, this intervention thing with her, basically, because she still hasn't fucking paid Rachel a dime. They set her down, and basically they're talking to her, and she is, at this point, like, delusional level. It's like denial at some next fucking point. So they show her the article that by this point, I think New York Post published on her. And the title was Wanna Be Socialite Busted for Skipping Out on Pricey Hotel Bills. And she lost it. She's like, I wanna be socialite. How dare they talk about me like that way? And like, okay, bitch, you have like bigger problems. And because she is this delusional, she is like crying crocodile tears. She's like, listen, listen, as soon as this foundation is built, I'm gonna pay you all back. And at this point, like both Rachel and Casey just look at each other like the place was rented out to somebody else. And she's like, no, 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 that's not correct. That's fake news. And they're like, bitch, it's in the news. Like, what did you think? They're just gonna hold the fucking place for you until you come up with this money out of nowhere. So during that intervention, they're like, okay, listen, we're gonna check you into this hotel like for a couple of nights and then you figure your life out from then on. And they're basically like restricting her to use minibar. They're like, listen, this is the money and the rest, like, we, we're not paying for her. After this, she checks into again. She's like, yep, no, this is a basic hotel. Fuck this shit. She checks into the Bowery Hotel for two nights and again sends the hotel a receipt of a wire transfer, which, as you might guess, is a fake receipt because this is how this girl operates. So the money actually never comes. At this point, Rachel is working with the district attorney. She got a call back and the district attorney was basically like, yep, we believe she's a fraud. We have enough for her now like she has been arrested and kind of let out without, without a bail but like we need your help so arrange to meet up with her so that we can like arrest her without a hassle and without her just fucking running away again to some uh, next country to scam so she does and this is when we meet anna sorokina who the fuck is anna sorokina well that's anna delvi delvi is her imaginary last name which she just pulled out of her ass because it sounds fancy 
Also, she turned her sources just say Sorokin. Okay, if I know she doesn't deserve this, but this is what triggers me. Russian female names end in A, okay? They end in A. So, yeah, the last name should be Sorokina, okay? Just all of the articles out there. Just, uh, yeah, educate yourself a bit. <laughs> Not that it matters, but yeah. So she is arrested for multiple counts of larceny. She's just a fancy word for theft. She owed a over $275,000 in total by this point. And she was placed in Rikers, Rikers Island prison for a year before her trial. Now, her trial in March 2019 is an event. She was showcasing outfits. There is even an Instagram account commemorating those looks. It's called Anna Delvi Court Looks, as well as her own Instagram is, by the way, still active. But yeah, this is just like a compilation of all of the outfits she was wearing. They were um, designed by Anastasia Walker. And I cannot describe how little fashion sense I have and how alarming it is that somebody let this bitch dress this way, by the way. I think I mentioned before, like, I totally believed in the court outfits and that they can influence the jury and all of that. These outfits are not shit. They're just... It just looks like somebody is dressing a 20-something-year-old woman to look like a decent 15-year-old going to a club. I don't know how else to describe it. Like, all of these outfits. Also, her hair is a mess. She's just, like, a whole fucking mess. I don't know what they were trying, what they were going for. It just doesn't make sense to me. So one day, apparently, I think it was the day of the verdict, she was actually late for her own trial because apparently her clothes were creased, they were wrinkled, she couldn't, like, <laughs> she couldn't fucking appear that way. And that made everybody pissed. Like, judge was pissed. Like, they immediately told her off. They were like, the jurors were here since 9.30. What are you pretending to be, like... And apparently her lawyer said, like, oh, no, it's, it wasn't just for the outfits, but clearly everybody, like, immediately took a wing of this. This was, like, the, the the prosecution's closing statement. It was everything that people saw in the end. Also, everybody keeps saying how boring this trial actually is. So apparently there was a juror number nine that repeatedly fell asleep and would start snoring. And then, like, he was dismissed in the end, which is a true hero in this case. Listen. Because just imagine, you're every day of the month, someone's reading out, like, text messages. Oh, where are you traveling? Oh, they're looking at your Instagram pictures. Like, technically, like, oh my god, this is so interesting. And they're like, this is so fucking boring. Not to mention, like, oh, your search history, your bank account information. Like, fuck me, nobody wants to be on that jury. Also, for me to prove that great court outfits are a thing, check the case of Ezra McCandless. Ezra McCandless... She brutally murdered her boyfriend, doesn't matter. She knew how to dress. Also, her hair was perfect. Listen, she's hot, okay? I'm not gonna lie. I'm not gonna lie. I know she's a murderer, but, like, that's how you do court looks, okay? Anna, take notes. Obviously, during this trial, Rachel testified, and her testimony was powerful because she described, like, chasing her, how traumatizing all of this was for her, for, like, being on that holiday and everything. And just the recurring theme again is like, no, she definitely intends to pay them back. You see, this is how she did it in the past. Like, she took some borrowed money, then she paid, like, some of it to the owing party. Again, her own lawyer was like, yep, um, she just took advantage of the system that could be swindled. It's not on her. Yes, it might be unethical, but hey, these loopholes were in the place already. 
there. Like, there was just no intent to commit a crime. And, you know, owing money is just how you live life in New York. You know, it's like such a modern day crime to live. I think he made her sign off, like, her assets to him in order for him to get paid. To be honest, I still don't know to this day if this guy has been paid. That's why I don't understand this whole defense, like, and if he managed to get paid out of this. I genuinely am like, why are you even defending this woman? Are you getting paid? So closing statements, defense mentions, like, all of this that I've just said, as well as comparing her to Frank Sinatra. It's like, there is a bit of a liar in all of us. I put like, yeah, but there is a lot of Anna in Anna, okay? And how she was just creating opportunities. She was, you know, falling for this, basically, Instagram lifestyle of just creating appearances and opportunities for herself. And then the prosecution was like, she was laid here because of her fucking outfits. That basically tells you everything you need to know about this woman. And I mean, there was other things, but yeah, that was the most powerful thing, which was like, hey, you just witnessed, like, Anna as a personality. Now, something else that came to light was that she actually refused the plea deal during these proceedings, which would have had her released from Rikers in 2019, and she would be deported back to Germany early. So technically, she would have served a lot less time, and she still didn't accept this. Who the fuck rejects freedom. I think this tells you so much about her, because who just chooses, like, to reject spending less time in prison and going back to Germany, but the person that would rather be somebody or some significance, even if it means in being in prison. Finally, she's found guilty of six counts of attempting grand larceny, theft of services, and larceny in the second degree for defrauding New York hotels and wealthy acquaintances. She gets between 4 to 12 years in prison and a $24,000 fine, 199000 in restitution and obviously she'll be deported to Germany. But, of course, she plans to move to London after this imprisonment to publish two books and become an influencer. Okay, she, she has her plans. She moved on from ADF now. Also, the best part of it is like during the trial, Anna is like, I feel so sorry for my actions, I intend to pay all back. Immediately after the trial, prison interview, first prison interview, this bitch is like, I don't regret nothing, I would do it all over again. Genius. Also, also, what she said in prison is that the place is not actually that bad. Quote, people seem to think it's horrible, but I see it as like this sociological experiment. End quote. This bitch is treating this like fucking Stanford prison experiment. Hey, what are you on about? She's just probably practicing lies on these fucking inmates and practicing for her next scam. She's made friends, of course. Just logical. She says the murderers were the most interesting to her. Okay. Mm-hmm. There are a couple of girls that are there for financial crimes as well. <laughs> Go ahead. She says this one girl. She's been stealing other people's identities. I didn't realize it was so easy. This bitch is a fucking flight risk. Listen, if she isn't driven from this prison after being released right to the airport to be deported and like followed on this airport right to the fucking plane, she's gonna disappear and try to do this all over again. She's a private jet flight risk, okay? I am so chuffed about this. Private jet flight risk. Episode title. So... Obviously, people want to make a Netflix series out of this. I think Shonda Rhimes wants to do a series on it. And obviously, Anna was supposed to profit out of it. But then, in the US, 
there's a law that's called the Son of Sam law, which triggers me because Son of Sam is David Berkowitz, which is a serial fucking killer. You don't name laws after serial killers, you name them after victims, morons. Anyways, I understand why this is named, but it triggers me. So this is a law to keep criminals from profiting from the publicity of their crimes, which is usually they sell their stories to publishers. So this is the law that would seize the money and then distribute it to criminals' victims, which, hey, maybe Rachel gets fucking paid one day. This is technically the story, so what I compiled is the stuff that I have picked up on the way, which is the corner that I'm calling how the fuck was she getting away with this for so long. Number one advice, of course, is to fake documents and learn how to fake them successfully. And as you're doing that, you might as well just uh, make a fictional character, which is your financial advisor, because people see financial advice and they're like, mm, that sounds reasonable, yeah, that sounds like she's a legit person, she has a fucking financial advisor. And during this, like, this whole point um, involves, well, depositing bad checks and just in general, finding a loophole in well, whichever area you want to scam. So apparently, I looked a bit into this and um, there was this loophole. When I've seen this many information involving checks, I was like, who the fuck accepts checks? Apparently they do in the US. So there's this loophole that apparently still exists. It's called float period, which basically means like banks communication. By now, it should last less than 24 hours, but that's still a loophole, because what if it is like a couple of hours? That's all she needs. So obviously this does mean your checks might bounce, it's traceable, and your credit score is ruined, but she didn't give a fuck about that. As long as she could temporarily get away with it, that was all she needed. Second point is having a lie on command, but also like just casually saying yes to what you can afford. So basically, the whole podcast, uh, The Fake Heiress, has these like reconstructions of scenes and technically it just kind of shows you that to anything, you know, from the foundation, from the hedge fund, from the bank people, every time they would be like, well, yeah, this is what we need, this is a deposit, or like, this is how much it will cost. She would be like, yeah, of course. Because then it seems to people like, yeah, you're legit, you have that much money, it's not even like a problem for you. So they're more inclined to trust you. But truly, people who lie on command are the most scary. Like, I've known this girl at uni who just has fucking lies ready. And at some point I was like, yep, I'm gonna distance myself from you because this is so fucking scary. It's just like, there's not a twinkle. There's no even a second of thinking or like, mm, yeah, no, <laughs> there's nothing. She just has lies for every single situation ready. I'm like, you are scary as a human. Leave me alone. Now, point number three would be selling the good story. So, she didn't tell everybody that her dad was a diplomat. She would tell, like, other people that he worked in oil. So, it just depends who she spoke to. Because, obviously, if you speak to, like, maybe you want to present your family differently to, like, different investors and different people. So, she would read the room and accustom the lie to that, that situation. Reading the room, it's so important. <laughs> Then point number four would be to splash it all out. So she would pay huge amounts to her PT. She presented herself in this cloud, dressed in designer clothes. So for the longest time, the people vouch for her in her life. Point number five, networking. Oh, everybody's favorite. Everybody loves a good network. Fuck, it's so annoying. Why? Because people are then going to believe you have influence. Yeah, you, you must have money. You must be able to pay me back for this private jet journey that I'm just giving you for free. <sighs> Listen, private jet is a dream of mine, okay? I just want to travel by private jet once. 
No, this is a true story, okay. Also, I kind of like to imagine that Bad Bunny is there and we are singing that um, Catch Like Pokemon song. Anyway. <laughs> this is the longest episode of a lifetime. And then point, I don't even know where I'm at, five or six, is partially actually doing what you promised to be doing. It's kind of like, you know, telling the lie where, you know, 90% of it is the truth. And then you're like, well, it's believable. So it's like, hey, you borrow the money, you pay back here and there, you know, you transfer, you wire transfer here and there. So like people still kind of believe it. They're just like, yep, she'll pay me back. And then the very last point, I have lost count at this point, is obviously showcase your lifestyle, have a great Instagram profile. She didn't, she didn't know how to gram. I don't understand how anybody was buying this. And what I don't understand the most is how the fuck nobody Googled this bitch. Like I Google random ass people that I meet, okay? This woman is presenting herself to be diplomat's daughter. Did, no, did Google not work in 2017? What the fuck? Also, there were people here involved that were journalists, bankers, investors, how? Just tell me how. Because again, they believed in this point. They see her Instagram profile because she again adds you as a friend. And you're like, well, this is so great. Look at me presenting you this lifestyle. And they're like, yeah, I, I believe it. Although when you Google Anna Delhi, Delhi does not exist on the internet, does it? Well, until now. Now, let's just go a bit into whatever I could find from her background. Anna Sorokina was born in Domodedovo, a working-class satellite town southeast of Moscow. She was one of the two children. We don't know anything about this other child. Also, what a fucking... She had such a single child syndrome. How did she even have a sibling? Her dad worked as a truck driver. No, no diplomat, no oil industry. Hmm, truck driver. While her mom owned a small convenience store before she became, became a housewife. So pretty much at best middle-class family, but probably not even that. They moved to Germany in 2007, when Anna was 16. She was described as a quiet girl who just um, was a sucky German. <laughs> she actually got accepted to Central St. Martins in London, which is like an art school. It's a good art school, but apparently she didn't attend to it, and she just returned to Germany. This bitch would have had like a nice fucking life. So then she worked in the PR company, which is her only legit job. The company is called Purple and she was it's like a fashion magazine. So that kind of justified her moving to Paris. And this is sort of where people describe like she would intern at this company and then if you ever like I interned at a PR agency for a week. Listen, <laughs> it's definitely not glamorous. Literally the first day they were like, okay, so who's gonna go on a juice run? And you're like, great. So this is pretty much her internship, but she pretended like she's an editorial assistant. She pretended like she was the shit there. So she just literally walked into like the CEO's office one day and was like, oh my God, thank you so much for the internship. They apparently bonded about like an art piece and he was like, well, yeah, I'm actually going to this exhibition. Like, do you want to come around? And she was like, oh my God, of course. Which again, fuck knows if this story is correct, but hey, I found an account of it. They're like, oh, by the way, what's your name? And she's like, Anna, Anna Delvey. And this is when Anna Delvey was born. That is pretty much it. Like, like little bits that I gathered from the places where, well, well, she was described as awkward. <laughs> by everybody from her childhood. The one thing that came as a repetition was that she sucked at German. That Mean Girls was her favorite movie. Again, judge all of your friends on the recommendations they give you all the time. If they give you shitty book recommendations and shitty things to watch, please, I tell you, I beg you, listen. 
<laughs> like there have been so many there are so many years that could have been saved just based on like fucking book recommendations that people gave me that I'd never judged and questioned, okay? In high school she was nicknamed Barbie. <laughs> Her internship only paid for 400 euros and then her parents paid for like the rent in Paris. And less than a year after that, she was staying at rooms costing 7,000 a night. That's the story of Anna fucking Delvey. Now let's discuss her motives. Actually here I have a quote from her, so we kind of know what her motive is, even if it wasn't obvious enough. My motive was never money, she said, dressed in a khaki jail jumpsuit and Celine glasses. Who gave this bitch Celine in fucking prison? <clears throat> quote, I was power hungry, end quote. So, that was pretty, pretty obvious. Yep, yeah, she kind of knew this was gonna run out eventually, so she was like, might as well use it and scam it until I can. She just wanted a lifestyle without earning it. She had potential. She could have gone to freaking grade school in London. She could have, well, interned in that PR agency and then gotten some other jobs in PR. Like, if she really liked fashion and art all that much. Like, she had potential. She could have gone into legitimate careers. But no, the bitch just wanted life without earning it. And then I genuinely, I put like a second thing, which might be more psychological. It's kind of that she was delusional at certain points. Because she kind of convinced herself. It's that thing when you convince, convince yourself until you believe it. Like, remember that part where she just genuinely did not want to accept that the location for her foundation was rented to somebody else. She was just like delusional at that point because she just convinced herself that this is her lifestyle now, until she believed it herself. She's so sad because it's in such a like short span of time. Let me know what the fuck do you think. But yeah, I'm pretty sure power is the motive here. And well, just money hungry, man. Money hungry people are scary. Scary, especially if they're good liars. Fucking scary. The sources for this podcast have been Swindle Podcast, Vanity Fair article, Wikipedia Nana Sorokina, Fake Heiress Podcast, and The Cut. God, this is the longest, longest episode. It's gonna be so fun to edit. I love it. I love it already. I love it. Scam it. Scam it till you can. I'd really like to know what you think about Anna Delvey. Sort of like, was she actually morally wrong? Or was her defense lawyer just right to say that this is a 21st century kind of crime? That, you know, she just used all of these things that have existed like so. From Instagram to other people's negligence at the hotels to just, yeah, swindle everybody and live her best life. <laughs> like, just scam everybody using what was at her disposal. That's the thing, like, if you can sleep at night, you know, doing morally wrong shit during the day, I mean, I guess nothing is really out of reach, is it? You know, I can sleep at night eating two brioches, <laughs> pretending that it's one brioche. So maybe she just could live with herself and sleep at night knowing that she just scammed her best friend or well she didn't have no friends but everybody around her and basically the hotel workers and everybody else i find this case so interesting because it is so palpable like every single one of us has been in a situation where either you were awkwardly there while somebody either couldn't pay something or you know wanted to get out, sin pie, you know, <laughs> without paying for the freaking bill. Or somebody's just broke and they're just like, hey, can you pay for me this time? Or, you know, I'll pay you back, whatever it is. And everybody is aware of that uncomfortable feeling 
that you know people have experienced here the photographer the personal trainer her vanity fair friend like it just that she pushed it to the very next level and what we need to think about is that this is 2017 this is literally like she was doing this three years from like three years ago so what level would you go to in the little scams you know what level can you go to and still peacefully sleep at night email me podbam at gmail.com you know slide into my dms on instagram deadbampod or at me at twitter deadbampod as well or if you truly love me as as a person and you want to give me some money kind of like you know rachel gave anna delvi here because she was just a great human well you can always find me on patreon deadbampod and um for the mini for june there i cover yet another scammer and this is kind of like the tiger parenting fascination and how this girl basically um, hired people to kill her parents because she just didn't have a life. So yeah, it is when lies kind of escalate. That's that kind of story that I'm bringing you on Patreon this week. Send me your scams. I love it. I love reading scams. Scams are like my favorite thing, okay? Listen to Swindle podcast if you haven't before. It's just epic. It's just literally this month, but like as a podcast, you know? you know how podcasts have topics sometimes they have genres you know they come in different genres that you can listen to i don't know if you were aware of it but um, no this is everybody's first podcast my genius moving on as this is already the longest freaking episode well one of the longest you know i i made such a big progress since the episode one let's be honest I now do actual fucking research even though there's like free articles out there, okay? I tell you everything that you need to know. I, so what that means is I'm only destroying a fairy tale for you this week. And we are talking about uh, nobody else but Little Mermaid. Now again, I wrote this script a couple of days ago, so uh, <laughs> this is gonna be fun, reading it again, reminiscing on the Little Mermaid's life. So on my scale, just so you know, this is kind of like a solid five reason for that because I genuinely love how Ariel was like consistently a perv. She really wanted that prince, like she really wanted that dick. She was after it. She would go out, you know, like to freaking sing and shit on the shore. And then also in the movie, you know, kiss the girl. Like you all remember that scene. Like she actually encouraged all these freaking animals to get her to get that dick. Like this is commitment, okay? Ariel, I respect you. Now, this is the Disney version, so of course I googled what the actual plotline is because, as I mentioned, my childhood was different than yours. So, in Disney version, she trades her voice for her legs to, to get that dick. That's exactly what it says, you know, <laughs> in those Disney books that you read to your kids, yes. But then, Ursula, you know, like that witch, by the way, that was such a powerful character, like she looked like so nicely done and animated. I just really loved Ursula, respect the, the queen of villains, you know. So she comes up on them once, you know, Ariel like swindled this prince and she's singing in Ariel's voice. The, the short like the way that I shortened this is beautiful. But little crab gets her her friends, so all of these animals, right, to convince the prince, whose dick turns where the wind blows. Truly, honestly, though, honestly, why is this prince like literally? It's like, oh, is somebody singing in her voice. So let's go back to this person. Come on, make up your mind. This prince 
is as loyal as his options. This is it. He's like a fucking hood sideman. And then the little crab kind of gets involved, reveals that Ursula is basically a scam, and him and Mermaid live happily ever after. Again, I put that this is the more solid plot than most of the fairy tales. How? What, what was I tripping? Like, this was all built on a lie. Like, this bitch was a mermaid in the first place. And then he's suddenly swindling this prince, who is clearly a hoe, clearly not ready for marriage. How is there a concept of them living happily ever after, after this? This is not the shittiest plot. Okay, again, as every time, I hate fairy tales a lot more after doing this little segment, so yeah. Now, we're going back to, to Mr. Hans, Hans Christian Andersen version from 1837. There she gives up her tongue, which I don't know how much more of a difference does it make, like can you, can you sing? What I wonder is, can you sing without a tongue? I know this is a dumb question, I should probably know the answer to. See, this is what they should be teaching you in freaking biology classes, but no, no they don't, they don't do that shit. Yeah. <laughs> so she gives up her tongue. But then for some reason, once she is actually a human, right, and she has legs, she can't walk on these legs properly, as her feet feel like there's knives cutting through as, like, with every step she makes. And apparently she only has one day to marry this dude. I don't know if this is the, the Disney version as well. She has a deadline here, she up to deadlines. But despite the pain, she again chooses to impress him and impress this prince, but he still chooses another woman, because again, the prince in both of these stories is such a classic hoe. So many, so many red flags from the get-go. Like, if he is, like, out there thing for you while you're at the shore, I mean, what the fuck are we on about? Or he's just after your voice, but you never actually met in person, and then you decide to change your freaking traits for this guy that you never met and marry him within a day, so many wrong lessons that we teach our kids from these fairy tales. This is why I do these segments, okay? So that when you teach your kids, like, when you read your kids these fairy tales, you highlight this for them. You tell them this shit. You don't make them become those people that go into a fucking 90 day fiancé to, like, scam people because they can't, because they don't know how to live a realistic love story. Okay, I got way too, way too emotional about, like, a little mermaid of what is life. So, obviously, because this is Hans Christian Andersen, like, she turns psycho. So her sister gives her a dagger to kill the prince, because they have been swindled by the sea witch as well, who has given them this dagger in exchange for their long, beautiful hair. Again, the principal, like, the stuff that they're exchanging these things for, again, don't make zero sense. So if the little mermaid kills the prince and lets his blood drip on her feet, she will become a mermaid once more, magic, life, how it works, yeah. All of her suffering will end. She will live out her full life in the ocean with her family. But she chickens out and then, because she doesn't do any of it, she dissolves into sea foam. Poetic ending, though. I truly believe this ending more than, you know. Because this thing has morals to the story. You learn shit from it. There's, there are consequences, okay? In the main thing, you're like, okay, this didn't work in the first place, so let's commit to it until it works. The Disney version of this story is truly when a couple wants to have a child to fix their marital problems. Her body dissolves into foam, 
But instead of ceasing to exist, she feels the warm sun and discovers that she has turned into luminous and ethereal earthbound spirit, a daughter of the air. This is going like great mythology now. This is next level. So because of her selflessness, she is given the choice to earn her own soul by doing good deeds for the mankind for 300 years and then she will rise up to the actual heaven. This is hell. This is basically like slave yourself because you were selflessness. Now you don't get the prize immediately. Fucking slave yourself for 300 years. I'm sorry, wrong. How high was Hans Christian Andersen to even start inventing this? How bizarre does this ending sound? Still better. Still better than the Disney version. Yep. Moral of the story. Don't change yourself to get that dick. Self-wise. I mean, this episode has just given you quotes and quotes. Yeah. If you ever create a Wikipedia page on me, these are the quotes. <laughs> Nobody will understand why those quotes are there and how they make sense in concept with like true crime or anything. But those are the quotes. Now we've got the case. We've got, you know, our little fairy tale. What is left for us to do as, you know, just humans, not the eternal human beings? I know, I know. It's been over an hour. You probably need to join your next Zoom call. What is gonna be this time? What are they gonna be chatting about? What the fuck? Let me use my brain cells. Let me let me do this. Let me pull some dumb shit out of my fucking brain. I got it. You're joining your next Zoom call, okay? And everybody's just laughing, you know, because fucking Karen decided to paint her whole freaking face and spend two hours that morning, which she's blatantly just telling to everybody. She's just like, yeah, look at this, isn't it fabulous? Isn't it just like the best thing you have ever seen? I spent two hours this morning doing this. But you, you knew, so you were just like, again, like acting surprised like everybody else. But you were the person to make Karen do this dumb shit just to see how far people can push it. How far people can get away not doing a fuck all from home. What are the productivity levels? Was Karen actually equally productive, even though she used two hours to do fuck all and just like paint her own face? And then you start up that conversation because right now everybody's like, yay, who wants to go to the office? They're running surveys. Actually, in both of my companies, I have like some inside intel that like sort of like 5% of the company at best, at best have said they want to return to the office because Again, if the productivity levels is the same, there's just no fucking reason. Just listen, remote working is the future. I have said it before and I will say it again. This is why, you know, quick your office job is <laughs> a YouTube channel that I will persist on until I have subscribers. And I will keep pushing because like, how much time were you wasting just going to the fucking kitchen, chatting with people nonsensical shit, but more importantly, just commuting. Like, it's just so much better for your mental health. Like, I haven't commuted in two months. I genuinely feel like my mind, it just, it doesn't even need therapy anymore. You know what I was actually thinking about today? It would be great to maybe start having therapy again, but then I'm like, I constantly talk about myself or with myself for this fucking podcast. So like, what would be the actual, like, even point of it? <laughs> Just be like, hey, the main point for, <laughs> the main point of it, though, why I would return to it, is just because I super, like, insanely struggle to identify, like, my feelings. It would literally be like, okay, can you describe, like, what feelings you are? I'm like, 
feelings okay i know about like two of them uh-huh, sad happy what can you tell me like what are the other feelings that there are in this world again this is why people need fucking therapy okay especially if you can't identify more than like two feelings again point of this fucking ending is push them boundaries okay push the boundaries of your managers of the hr or whoever is in that fucking meeting and be like sorry I have the inside intel that the survey said only 4 out of like 60-70 people want to return their job. What are you gonna do about it? Do, are you gonna have like fucking 90% of people being unhappy when we return to the workplace? Because guess what? That That's not how it should work, is it? So you push the codem boundaries. And keep questioning why do they want you to go back to the office? Why? Oh, so that they can control you. Yeah, is it? Is it right? Oh, so how do you differ from Charles Manson? How do you differ from like just like every other famous cult company? Please explain yourselves. It isn't as obvious, is it? Once you actually work for the office and you have all these fucking stand-up meetings, all these bullshit things where everybody's like controlling everybody. But it is kind of more obvious when they don't have that control for a couple of months and they want it back. Because this is how you fucking get them. This is how you question their, their fucking motives. Why do you want me in the office if the productivity is on the same level? Hmm. Control. Shut the fuck up and let me live my best life. This is how you get yourself fired. Pro tips. Pro tips by Maya. And in questioning those motives, what you do? You keep making the world a better place. One motive at a time. <laughs> Bye fuckers.